Welcome to Jets Audibles, Eric Allen, joined by my partner, as always, Chad Pennington. Okay, Chad, we're going to start off with a trivia question. Can you tell me the last quarterback before Ryan Fitzpatrick on Sunday, last Jets quarterback who threw four touchdowns in a game with zero interceptions? <laughs> well, I'd hope I'd be part of that answer. Um, I do remember... Uh, having that type of game. I think it was against Detroit, wasn't it, in 2002? 2002. Bingo. Chad Pennington. How about that? <laughs> I'm not saying that because I'm conceited. I just was figuring you were trying to trick me and think about somebody else. So I thought I'd throw myself into the mix, too. <laughs> uh, so what did you think about Fitzpatrick's performance against the Miami Dolphins as the Jets got that much-needed victory? Well, it was a, I think it was a quintessential Ryan Fitzpatrick performance. And what we see from Ryan is he is an all-in quarterback. Uh, he plays the game to do whatever it takes to get the next first down, the next yard, the next completion. And so you saw that from his play on Sunday where he ran for first downs, he threw for first downs. Um, I don't think people really saw the uh, magnificent play that he made, even though they saw the touchdown play to Brandon Marshall for the first touchdown, if you went, if you go back and look at that play, that was a heck of a quarterback play on his part where he was getting pressure. He threw the ball extremely early, had enough touch and accuracy on it to where it, it, Brandon you know, essentially had to make the catch because it was such a perfect throw. Uh, that was a great quarterback play. So I think that uh, from Ryan's standpoint, uh, you know, that was a, a performance that uh, from a fan and watching quarterbacks that I was I was uh, glad to see and it was fun to watch. Chad, did you like his patience? He said going into this game that, hey, listen, I haven't played really well lately. And then after this ball game, he said, I didn't try to force things. I didn't put pressure on myself to make a play. I took what was there. And I think that is kind of the overall mindset uh, for the whole offense. And I think that what we saw before this game leading up to this game was players such as Fitzpatrick or Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker, trying to make too much out of something and putting too much pressure on themselves to make big plays to create a spark instead of just letting the game come to them naturally. And when that play is there to be made, they make it. And so I think that's the difference and what you saw on Sunday compared to the previous weeks. When plays were there to be made, they made them, but they didn't go looking for them. They just took what was there, and if it was a big play, they made it. If it was a small play to keep the drive alive or a, just a completion play, whatever that play required at that particular moment, they made those plays. Was there anything scheme-wise that Chan Gailey was doing uh, attacking the Dolphins that might have been a little bit different than what we've seen of late? Well, I just think the, the multiplicity, and I think uh, what you saw from a scheme um, standpoint, uh, first of all, was that the running game was existent. You know, It had been uh, kind of non-existent for the last couple of weeks, and it came back into the forefront uh, from the very first play. It set the tone. Uh, it created the energy. It created the spark. And so um, it doesn't, didn't mean that they had to rush for that they did rush for 150 yards or so because they did not, but it created some tempo plays and some tone-setting plays uh, to get 
to get the Jets off the ground, so to speak. And then the passing game then elevated the entire game and the entire team with the big play capability. The one great thing that I saw in the passing game, you finally saw some young players starting to make plays. And uh, that's good to see because that takes a little bit of pressure off of guys like Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker. Yeah, what do you think that will do for Devin Smith's confidence? He not only had the touchdown, which was a, a, a good throw by Fitz again in the red zone, and that's what we're accustomed to seeing. Uh, Devin held on in traffic, simple post route. But he also made a play early in that ball game when the Jets – uh, on the Jets' first scoring drive, uh, Chad, when they had a second and long, and, and Fitzpatrick got a pass up to Devin Smith, and he was able to convert with a long gain. Do you think that should help him and this offense as we move forward over these next five games? Well, I certainly think uh, it's a positive. It's a step in the right direction. Both of his catches were in critical moments uh, of drives, and that's important. And I think what is even more important, number one, he gains confidence from that, but then he also sees that his quarterback is not scared to go to him in critical situations. Uh, you had a long yardage situation where he was able to get the first down and keep a drive going. Then you have a two-minute red zone big-time situation before the half, and Fitzpatrick goes to him for the touchdown catch. That was big. I thought that was a really big play in the game uh, to kind of, leave the first half with that type of momentum was huge for the Jets. And so to know uh, as a young receiver that, hey, my quarterback trusts me in those situations, that has to be a confidence builder for him. What do you think about Brandon Marshall? We've uh, come to expect great things from him. And just a couple weeks ago, it seemed like uh, Brandon was really battling through injuries. But he had some pop in his step. And now, Chad, He's only 69 yards uh, shy of 1,000 for the eighth time in nine seasons. Well, he, he's tremendous. And uh, what I saw Sunday was the same type of mindset that Fitzpatrick explained that he had. I saw a receiver that didn't try to force the issue, ran his routes crisp. When the ball was there and a play was to be made, he made it. He didn't try to force anything, didn't try to get too cute, um, and just took the plays that were there. And when he does that, I mean, he's an unstoppable force, and he's a big-time producer for an offense, and he changes the game, and he certainly did that. And But it was it, it's actually an attitude where you have to think more is not always better. you got to think about quality. you got to think about – the opportunities, and you have to relax in those situations and just take advantage of the moment, not try to create the moment yourself. Using a questionably, this guy's a Hall of Famer, right? You're talking about now eight out of nine years where he's going to have 1,000 yards. He's on pace at this point in his career, which is really remarkable, for his second highest yardage total, uh, you know, looking back all the way. Well, there's no question he's putting up Hall of Fame statistics I think what he would tell you, he would like to see some opportunities and chances come in postseason. I think that's where Hall of Famers then put the seal and the icing on the cake as far as their Hall of Fame career is being able to do some great things in the postseason. And I think that's some of the pressure that he's put on himself. is probably unwarranted, but he feels that is that he wants to get to the postseason and be able to make a difference for a team in the postseason, not just a regular season. Yeah, what do you think's gone through both Fitz's and Brandon Marshall's minds uh, 
as they start December because you uh, had to sit a couple years, but boom, you caught fire in 2002, and in your first year as a starter, led the Jets to the playoffs, where these guys have been in the league for more than a decade each, and they're still looking for their first playoff appearance. Well, I know exactly um, how they feel as far as a veteran, understanding that your time is limited. Uh, you don't know when your last down will be as you get older. And so when you see some light at the end of the tunnel and an opportunity to play for a championship and be in that playoff run, I mean, you were chomping at the bit to get there, and you want it so badly. And so you know, that's what I see from those two guys. They see an opportunity – uh, where they're on a team that has a legitimate shot uh, to go to the playoffs and play for a championship. And they want to be part of that. They want to make that happen. And that's from a veteran perspective, you know, just being in the league as long as they have, knowing how difficult it is to make it to the playoffs and then how difficult it is to have a chance to play for a championship, they see this opportunity now, not a few years down the road. How impressed have you been with this team in the red zone throughout the year? We know they had some struggles against the Buffalo Bills, but by and large, this has been the best red zone team in the National Football League. And you got Marshall there with nine touchdowns and Eric Decker with eight, and it seems like defenses cannot take away both of those guys consistently when the Jets are inside the 20. Well, you have two sure-handed receivers, uh, which is really important. Uh, you have a physical running back, which can get those extra tough yards in the red zone, which is extremely important. And then you've had a quarterback who's been extremely accurate in the red zone. When you're in the red zone, you have a lack of space, and it's important that your quarterback can hit his targets. It's not throwing, it's not about throwing to the receiver in the red zone. It's about throwing to your targets and your receiver understanding where those targets are, where those landmarks are in the red zone that the quarterback's trying to get to. And he's been extremely accurate in hitting his targets and his landmarks, and the receivers have made plays for him. How quickly can things change in the National Football League? Because like you had said last week, the Jets were descending, but now they get a win in convincing fashion where all three phases contribute. they got to be feeling pretty good right now. Well, it just shows you uh, how important a win is in this uh, league. It's so uh, devastating when you lose, especially mid to late season. Uh, you see how much hard work is put in week in and week out from the teams in trying to generate a win. And the, one of the biggest things that I've learned and I watched over my career is that you don't even have time to enjoy the win because you've got to move on to the next one. And uh, you've got to keep you know, putting win on top of win to be able to make it into the playoffs. And this league, uh, it's great when it comes to fandom and creating parity and creating these stories. Who would have thought uh, after week six uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs being one and five that they'd run off five straight and now be sitting in a wild card spot? You look at, at Houston, Indianapolis, I mean, uh, Pittsburgh, the Jets, you have so many teams that are vying for those spots, it, it just as a football fan, you've got to love this situation. All right, so let's talk about this situ situation. Seven teams, Chad, either have a six and five or five and six record in the AFC. The Jets right now would be the conference's seventh seed. 
That all doesn't matter. Obviously, there's five games left to be played. But what do you see from this landscape when I throw at you the Jets at six and five, the Bills at five and six, the Pittsburgh Steelers at six and five, the Colts and the Houston Texans both at six and five, and then finally you have the Kansas City Chiefs, who you just mentioned, and they've rattled off five wins in a row and are six and five, and the Oakland Raiders, who are sitting there at five and six. Well, what, what you're seeing is you're seeing a tight playoff race that's going to come down to who can finish 10 and 6. I think that's that's always been a magical number, and most of the time it stays pretty consistent. Very few times do you see where um, you know you have to be 11 and 5. Although I have been a part of that season where 11 and 5 didn't get a team into the playoffs, but I think this situation. Um, lends itself to saying 10 and 6 is your magical record to get into the playoffs. And in the division, what you're able to do with your divisional game uh, is really, really important because uh, these teams that are vying for these playoff spots are all also divisional uh, opponents. When you look at Houston and Indy, um, you look at the Jets and the Bills, you know, Kansas City and Oakland, those are all divisional opponents and so what you do in the division even becomes more important do you see one or two of these teams getting to 10 and 6 absolutely i think it's 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 definitely a possibility i think the jets have a great possibility in in getting to 10 and 6 um and and then you look at that the other teams i think that uh, probably indianapolis and houston uh, i think nine and seven will probably win that division uh, when you look at it, um, uh, with them probably beating up on each other um, within the AFC, and then and then out west, you know, you, you may have to be at the ten and six, uh, may have to be the magical number uh, for the Chiefs uh, or the Raiders, thinking that Denver could then you know can now press on and get that tenth and eleventh win to separate themselves. What about Pittsburgh? Obviously, uh, they were involved in a shootout, an old-fashioned shootout in Seattle is that Seahawks defense just is not playing the same at, a, at the same level of we've come to expect from them, but things change quickly in the National Football League in the salary cap era. What do you see from the Steelers and now that they're facing Ben Roethlisberger? He reported uh, to the medical staff that he was having some head issues. They're so explosive on offense. They seem to give up a lot of, on defense at times. Where do you think they stand when you look at the Steelers? Well, they're extremely explosive. I watched them against the, the Seahawks, and, and, man, those receivers that Ben Roethlisberger has, they, they make plays. They're fast. Uh, they have big play capability at any time, any moment. And that's scary if you're playing them because um, you never know. You can, you can have a great drive, a 10-play drive against their defense, go up a touchdown and in one or two plays you're back to square one because they scored a long touchdown and so that's always something that, that's scary when you're playing a team like that regardless of how their defense is playing is that you you know you're probably going to have to outscore them which Seattle was able to do um, but sometimes that can be very very difficult. And just Williams is playing extremely uh, well he's really filled in for Le'Veon Bell and provided a spark there, uh, even with Bell's injury. So, I mean, they, they have just as good of a chance as anybody as well because they have an experienced quarterback, 
Super Bowl winning quarterback and with the talent that he has around him, I mean, they could make a serious run as well. Of the five and six teams, who do you think is most dangerous? The Bills at five and six or the Raiders at five and six? Right now, I would give a nod to the Raiders. I think probably that their quarterback uh, is probably playing better than the Bills. So I would say Derek Carr is probably playing better than Tyrod Taylor. Um, I just think that the Bills' success relies too much upon their defense. Um, and teams are starting to see that, hey, if we don't give the points by allowing their defense to set the tempo and try to force the offense to make plays, it becomes very difficult for Buffalo. Um, uh, their their uh, winning formula is for the defense to set the tempo, create turnovers, and for the offense not to screw it up. And they win 17-14, 20-17. That's exactly how they beat the, the Jets. And so uh, I just think that Probably the Raiders get the nod in that head-to-head battle because their offense is a little bit more efficient. Although the Bills have some big-time playmakers, yep. I love watching Lashawn McCoy run the ball and Sammy Watkins is a really good uh, receiver. I just don't know if Tyrod Taylor has proven that he can make those plays consistently. I'll tell you what, this final five weeks is going to be fascinating, and you hit the nail on the head when you talked about. This could all come down to divisional tiebreakers because you have all these teams grouped together. And when you have a multi-team tiebreaker scenario, you go to the division first to eliminate one of the teams. So if you have three teams who are at 9-7 and seven or four teams who are at 10-6 at six or whatever, you go to the division to eliminate a team. And then you take the next step. So those divisional games are going to be critical. Wouldn't it be something if that Bills matchup uh, with the Jets, you know, the green and white going into Western New York, uh, and they had a shot at the playoffs if they win that ball game. But the Jets aren't really talking about playoffs as you would anticipate, Chad, taking it one game at a time. And before we talk about the next game, which is the New York Giants and MetLife Stadium, your thoughts on the Denver Broncos and their situation. Obviously, a great victory over the New England Patriots, knocking the Patriots uh, off their pedestal as an unbeaten team. But Brock Osweiler now has come in for Peyton Manning, led his team to a pair of victories. Where do you think they stand uh, as far as their quarterback uh, is concerned? And do you see Peyton Manning coming back this year? Well, I think it all depends on Peyton Manning's health. I don't think you look at this as a production type of decision. I think you look at this based upon Peyton Manning's health. And if he is healthy and he shows in practice that he can make all the throws, uh, that he can be the Peyton Manning, not the Peyton Manning of old, but just the Peyton Manning that we we're accustomed to seeing in Denver and and how he played in those first seven to eight games, then I think it's still Peyton Manning's ball club. And you just feel good about your young quarterback knowing that when Peyton Manning decides to call it quits, that you have a guy that can step in and has proven that he can be the leader of this team. There's no question that Osweiler uh, has gained the uh, confidence of his teammates. You can hear it uh, when his teammates uh, do interviews and talking about him. Uh, He's earned that, and he's done it the right way 
being drafted in 2012. He's learned under the greatest quarterback that's played this game. And so he's ready for the situation. But at the same time, Peyton Manning can still win football games and be very productive. It's all about his health. If his health is not there, then you don't risk it, and you know that you have a, a quarterback that can lead them to victory in Brock Osweiler. So I think it's a win-win situation. I don't think this is a controversy, nor do I think it's a, a, that tough of a decision to make. Is it going to be the keys to victory for the Jets this week? I think I think Giants have struggled, obviously, when they've turned the ball over. And uh, when that has happened, uh, then that has really put them uh, behind the eight ball. And so if the Jets can generate a few turnovers and stay away from the turnover bug themselves, I think that lends itself uh, to the Jets' victory. Um, it's it's going to be one of those where I think the secondary of the Jets will be tested, no doubt about it. By the way, I was really impressed by the zone coverages of the Jets uh, against the Dolphins. I think they incorporated some more zone coverages, especially in first and second down situations, and they were pretty effective. They, they um, eliminated a lot of those big play opportunities that the Dolphins were looking for because of the zone coverages. They did give up a few, but not a lot, and, and not in, in game-changing situations, and I think that was due to some of the, the zone coverages and the defenders of the Jets' defense being in the right position and being disciplined uh, in their job responsibilities. So it'll be interesting to see if they try to use those same concepts against the Giants uh, because they obviously have some explosive players in the passing game. And anytime you have a quarterback like Eli Manning, who is very efficient, um, very productive, uh, regard, the great thing about Eli Manning is regardless of what the previous game was, good, bad, or ugly, doesn't matter. He's on to the next one. Uh, he's been a true pro in being able to bounce back from adversity uh, when it comes to his own play. So you're going to get the best Eli Manning, I believe, on Sunday. You're going to get his best shot, and the Jets have to be ready for that. Listen, they should be able to win some matchups up front. That Giants offensive line is banged up a little bit. Do you think they should employ a lot of zone coverage against the Giants this week, and follow-up to that is, what do you think about Eli this year? Because I think he's played uh, tremendous football throughout. I know he struggled a little bit against the Redskins, but I think he's having a great year. He really has, and so the Jets are going to be challenged. I agree with you. I think the four-man pass rush for the Jets will be key. Can the Jets create a pass rush with those four defenders so they can still play some zones and mix those zones in with their man pressures uh, to create uh, a little bit more indecisiveness for Eli and to make sure that they're not leaving their corners and their defenders out on island when it comes to trying to defend receivers such as Odell Beckham Jr. What do you anticipate is going to happen Sunday? Ultimately, you see this being a tight game in the fourth quarter. It's been a wild and wacky season. The Jets are 6-5. and five. The Giants, unbelievably are tied for first place in the NFC East with the 5-6 and six record. And a couple of weeks ago, they nearly took down the New England Patriots. You never know what you're going to get each week in an unpredictable NFL. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't see this being uh, a blowout game or even a two-touchdown game. I see this thing going deep into the fourth quarter. It could come down to who has the ball last, who's going to make the big defensive stop, uh, remember special teams as well. That was one thing I was pleased to see 
uh, with the Jets with Curley's punt return on Sunday. That was really big, and it was nice to see because it just you can see it creates energy, it creates a spark, it just makes things a little easier, a little smoother. And that was one of the big plays in the game, I thought, uh, for the Jets. So special teams, uh, one special team's play could truly make a difference. Look at last night's game with the Ravens and the Browns. That could be the difference, although as coaches you don't want to think that it would be. Yeah, I'll tell you what, and this, if they were able to beat the New York Giants, this really could propel them down the stretch. It's good to get a victory over Miami, get that winning feeling, but then – you beat the Giants, you're starting to stack together wins, then you set yourself up with the home date with the Tennessee Titans, and fans can look ahead and say, well, then you go to Dallas, and, you know, the Cow- Cowboys have uh, obviously endured a lot of injuries, most specifically at the quarterback position. You take your shots down there, and then you get New England at home, and, you know, you play them one at a time, but you, you could set yourself up uh, very nicely if you win this ball game. No question about it. I think this is a playoff game for both teams. Uh, for the Jets, if you can beat a playoff contending team, this gives you the confidence moving into the last quarter of your season. And when you look at the last quarter of your season, you're going to play two teams who have just really been beat up with injuries in the Patriots and the Cowboys. you got a really tough team in Buffalo. So uh, you've, you've got a, a, a last quarter of the season that is not a gimme. But there's certainly a chance for the Jets to make headway and grab a, a wild card, card spot. Yeah, well, we're looking forward to Sunday. Uh, my final question this week, actually, I'm going to turn the tables. We're going to go to college football. Uh, who will be the final four after this weekend? The game that I'm really paying attention to is the North Carolina-Clemson game. I think North Carolina uh, is one of the hottest teams in the country. Uh, This is going to be an exciting game to watch, and I think this will really prove whether or not Clemson is for real. Uh, If they come out with a victory in this one, I think you feel really good as a Clemson fan. They've got a chance to to take it all the way. North Carolina is going to be a tough matchup, and I would love, as a Carolina fan, you would love to see uh, Carolina be able to win the game and then creep right into the top four. It'll be interesting if Carolina does win, you know, how that would all play out. I think the winner of the Big Ten obviously gets a spot. Um, Alabama versus Florida, I don't think Florida has enough uh, offense uh, to beat Alabama. And so, uh, there's, there's, so there's some really, really neat games to watch. And then you look at the Pac-12, even though they don't have um, they're not going probably going to have a playoff contender. You look at Stanford and the great game that they had against Notre Dame, and then USC, how they've been able to bounce back. You think of all the adversity they faced early in the year, and now they've made Coach Helton the full-time head coach of the program. Uh, that's going to be a nice game to watch as well. There's some big-time games. This is a great week for football in general when you talk about college and professional football. It is. So you think Alabama will be Florida. They would advance. Oklahoma, you think they're safely in? I think Oklahoma is in. Yep. I think I think Oklahoma and North Carolina are the two hottest teams uh, in the country right now. Wow. Uh, but I think Oklahoma is in. You think Michigan State beats Iowa? I do think Michigan State beats Iowa. I don't think Iowa has enough uh, offense uh, to, to uh, compete with Michigan State. The way Iowa will beat Michigan State is if Michigan State turns the ball over, then, then Iowa has a chance to win. But if not, I think Michigan State wins that one. Do you like Connor Cook as a pro prospect? 
haven't had a chance to study him a lot, but I, I know he has done some really, really good things. Uh, he obviously has stature. Uh, so I'll pay attention to him more going down the stretch here to really see what this guy's all about. All right, so you got the three teams. So finally, is do you think North Carolina, if they beat Clemson, they should be in based on them winning the ACC and Ohio State's there, but they would not have won the Big Ten. Obviously, they have no shot at winning the Big Ten. And also Stanford, who possibly could win the pack with two losses. Would you put Carolina into the Final Four if they beat Clemson? I would. I would certainly put them in. I think they've earned it. They, their first loss, or their only loss, was the first game of the year. Uh, crazy things happen in the first game. Uh, everybody has different expectations. And now you've seen the work that they've put in from then on. I mean, they, they've they've been really impressive. And so if they knock off the undefeated number one ranked team in the land, uh, there's no question in my mind that they should go over a two-loss team as, as the ACC champion. All right, buddy. We'll be watching Saturday. And then, of course, it's the big one at MetLife Stadium as the Jets and the Giants battle. We'll talk about it next week.